Thank you for listening to our messages online. Just a quick reminder, you can also listen on the WCC app, available for Apple and Android devices. This week, Pastor Cyrus takes us into the book of Jonah. one, grab the Bible in front of you because we are starting a uh, mini-series on the book of Jonah. And really, Jonah is a story of uh, a relentless God. And so we're titling this series, Relentless, A Story of God's Love. And even though the book is called Jonah and it's a book kind of about Jonah's life, the real hero is God. And so we're going to see that as we get into this story. So um, if there's a, a Bible in front of you in the pew, it's page 774. We're going to be in Jonah 1 today. Um, next week, we're going to look at Jonah's chapter, Jonah's chapter, Jonah chapters. It's hard. Two and three next week, and then four the following. So... Um, Jonah is a special little book. It is really small. It's right next to the smallest book in, in the Old Testament, Obadiah. And it's right, it's, they're just next door neighbors. And so just turn to Obadiah and you'll be right next to Jonah. <laughs> it's really kind of a hard book to find. But if you're in the book of Matthew, just flip about eight minor prophets back and you'll be close to uh, the book of Jonah. So the book of Jonah is special. It's a minor prophet. It's really small, but it's really unique because it's a little story in the midst of these um, prophetic books or the minor prophets. And even though it's a brief story, it's very rich and powerful. And so there are many messages that I am not going to preach that I found in the book while I was studying it. And so what you're going to hear is uh, what I believe the Lord has for us at this time. So let me read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. So follow along with me if you would. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. All right, you with me still? Good. So what I'm going to ask you to do is just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. A tale of a fateful trip that started from this Joppa port. Right here, look. There it is. That's the Joppa port. Aboard a cargo ship, the mariners were mighty sailing men, the skipper brave and sure. One passenger set sail that day, for he was running from the Lord, running from the Lord. Good job. The weather started getting rough. The cargo ship was tossed, if not for the pleading of the faithful crew. All their lives would be lost. Their lives would be lost. Yes, Gilligan Island fans, that's what I like to hear. Kids, that would be uh, Nick at Night. I don't even know if that's around anymore. Or just find it on YouTube. I'm sure it's there. 
So God comes to Jonah and says, hey, I have a message for you to, to deliver. Uh, I need you to go to Nineveh. And so we think that Jonah, because you can find in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah is mentioned there. And uh, it tells us that he was from a region near Galilee. And so it's possible he was there or because he was a prophet, as we read in 2 Kings, he had interacted with um, one of the kings that was a not-so-good king. And so it's possible he was around Jerusalem. But no matter what, where he was exactly, when he was told to go to Nineveh, as you can see, is northeast, he went to Joppa and got on a boat to Tarshish, which was on, uh, really, in Spain, Right? 2,500 miles away. So it would have been a long enough journey to go to Nineveh, but he decides, I don't want to go where God told me to go, so I'm going to Tarshish. Wow. What do you do when the word of the Lord comes to you? You have a choice, right? Maybe you're reading God's word, maybe you're hearing a sermon, maybe a friend or a devotional or something, some way God's truth comes to you. What do you do with that? Sometimes I'm, if you're like me, you run. You go the other way. You go, hmm, that one seems a little bit too hard. That means I would have to change my life a little too much. I'm just going to go the other way. Or maybe you follow after the Lord. Just want you to start thinking about those kinds of questions because I'm going to ask you a lot more. So what does God want to do? Well, here we see an attribute of God being displayed, and it's his justice. So here's the first blank for you to fill in, and the second. God's relentless justice is on display. Not love yet. This is actually all part of his love, right? So what you're seeing is this is a story of God's love, and it's demonstrated through different attributes, and one of them is justice, right? Because there is evil and great evil in wickedness happening in Nineveh, he's going to confront them, right? And Nineveh's a fascinating city. You can go to Genesis 10, and a guy named Nimrod, who was a great mighty hunter before the Lord, is actually credited with establishing Nineveh, Okay? Like in Genesis 10, so this city's been around a long time. It's the capital city of Assyria at this point, but it had been around long before that nation had um, ruled over it. So Nineveh is a fascinating place, and in uh, future sermons, we'll talk more about Nineveh. But for now, he was supposed to go there but in, because God wants to confront evil. His justice is on display. And what do we see? What does Jonah display? A rebellious heart. Anyone identify with this? Not yourself. Maybe someone you know, right? Yeah. We run from the presence of the Lord. And here in, in verse 3, it says that he was, uh, this is the last phrase, that he left to go away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't know all of, Geo, of Jonah's theology, but I'm pretty sure he knew that that God was a very big God, and he couldn't escape God. But what he could do is leave where God was known to be, right? That Jerusalem temple area. And so I think when he's fleeing the presence of the Lord, he's fleeing his homeland, he's fleeing all of those things, and he's getting out of town, right? And we'll talk more about how he chose 
to, to go where he's going. And it's, yeah, what an interesting thing he did. But what might this look like today, you and I? Well, sometimes when uh, we are rebellious, we start to pull away. We run away from people and places that confront us and bring us face-to-face with God or with his truth, right? And so if you have some of that internal turmoil, uh, a storm inside, you might say, then you might... um, Avoid God, avoid God's people, avoid places where you would be confronted with God. So maybe if you're young, you quit going to youth group or you never go to youth group. Maybe you don't like to go to the Sunday morning class or maybe uh, you you quit going to Bible study. Um, Maybe you quit going to your community group or eventually you quit going to church completely because it's, it's too uncomfortable what God is doing in your life and what he wants you to do. You would rather avoid him. And so we stop hanging out with family that turns us to the Lord. We might stop wanting to spend time with those in-laws that turn us to the Lord. We might actually stop even hanging out in our own home. And so if you're like, you know, a kid in your house and your parents are telling you to walk with the Lord and you don't like that, you might start spending more time in your room. Or maybe if you're an adult, you just start to isolate yourself through going into your room or into a book or into entertainment or into your own corner of the internet where you can just kind of get away and enjoy life the way you want to. We put our earbuds in, our headphones on, we get in front of screens or we get in front of a book or we just get away from those influences that are calling us to live for the Lord or to go where the Lord wants us to go because we have a rebellious heart. It's a significant and real problem in each and every one of our lives. So you might have a little bit more space. Where do you run? Why do you run? And how do you run from God? So think about that. Write those down if you would. How do you run from God? Why do you run from God? Where do you run from God? Where do you go? What do you turn to to kind of get away from the things God's trying to do in your life? Jonah, we see, he gets on a boat and he heads out of town because he doesn't want to follow after what the Lord has done. Okay? So, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He hits the road. He doesn't want to go confront evil. He doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. We'll look at that more in a little while. Um, And he goes and he says, how far away can I go? I want to go there. And so he takes off. Uh, Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was, on, that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. All right. How was that? Was that really convincing? Do you really feel the storm? All right, well, I got some sound effects here. Hold on a second here. Whew. Whew. 
How's that? Stormy, huh? No, that's not good enough. Hey, um, sound booth people, I need a storm. Can you guys give us a storm, like, like a threatening to destroy a ship kind of storm? Let's have the clouds roll in. We need the lights to go down. Let's get a storm in here. Are you guys ready for a storm? Well, I am. I brought a rain jacket because the storm's coming. Yeah. Look out. Oh, man. Here comes the storm. Are you feeling it yet? No, let's get it louder. Let's get the lightning happening some more. Let's get the rain really falling down. Let's get, yeah, here comes the fog. Because in a really stormy, scary situation, you wouldn't read it like this. And then they, this is a storm that is threatening the lives of everyone on these boats. These men were sailors. They were salty dogs. They were mariners of the high sea. Arr. No, I don't know if they're pirates. But you get the idea, right? These guys were profoundly experienced. They don't set the uh, rookies on the ship to go take the longest journey. No, they took the most experienced. And what are these guys doing? They're terrified. They're afraid for their lives. I don't know. They probably, there was probably so much fog all around them, pouring in on them. They probably couldn't get their bearings. They didn't know what was going on. Let me read this again, starting in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great storm, a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. This word for hurled is like when Saul hurled a javelin at David. This is that kind of word that was like a purposeful throwing this storm right upon this ship full of all these men and all this cargo. It's, it's wonderful language here because it actually talks about the ship like a person. The Hebrew language has, um, well, sometimes you call your boat a she, right? Oh, and just by the way, side note, this is non-toxic fog. The, we're, we're okay. Everybody's safe. We looked into it, right, Chris? Special effects. Yeah, so, so you can feel the storm. All right. That's why I got the raincoat and the national championship beavers. Woo. All right. Woo. So this ship was threatening to, to break up, and it's almost as if the ship itself was like, I'm going to be destroyed. That's what kind of storm was raging in this sea. And so what do these mariners do? What do these sailors do? They're terrified. Now, they've been on lots of different ships. They've been on lots of different trips, but this is something that's shaking them to their core to the point where they're willing to throw all the cargo overboard. The very thing that is the purpose for their, their jobs and their income, they're like, throw it overboard. We, we got to stay alive. It was scary. And where's Jonah? Look at verse 5. They're throwing cargo overboard to lighten the ship. And where's Jonah? Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Can you believe that? How can that be? How can he have so much going on and going wrong that he's running from the presence of the Lord? The sea is threatening to destroy the ship and he's sleeping it away. 
you know, it's really not that uncommon. In fact, you and I probably do this too. When we're in rebellion, when we are doing things our way instead of God's way, and we've got that deep ache in our hearts, you know what a lot of us try to do? We try to sleep it away. In fact, people that are struggling with, with depression or they're, or they're struggling with um, some significant uh, mental crisis or mental health issues, one of the common symptoms is sleep. They want to sleep it away. You can tell that this struggle is not simply something Jonah is dealing with casually. I think he is internally, truly tormented. And so he's trying to just sleep and just trying to sleep it away. But the sailors are terrified. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give uh, a thought to us that we may not perish. You see, they had all been crying out to their own gods. Most likely, these were Phoenicians. These were people that believed in lots of different gods. And so they were calling out to the god of the sea and the god of the sky. And they were calling out to every god, their favorite god, and they were hoping to just be saved from this storm. Yet Jonah's not calling out to his God. In fact, we have no reason to believe that he did at this point. I don't know if he just rolled over, if he just ignored them, but he didn't do anything. And so here we see God's relentless power and man's wandering heart. You see, God's power is demonstrated in the storm and man's wandering heart is demonstrated not just in the sailors as they called out to all of their other gods, but also to Jonah. He was, he was wanting to get away. He wasn't wanting to cry out to God. He didn't care. His heart was far from him. And that's exactly the way we are sometimes. So let me ask you, are you in the midst of a storm? Maybe it's an internal storm. Maybe it's an external storm. Maybe it's things that are beyond your control. Maybe it's things that are consequences of your own behavior. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a, a job issue or a housing issue. Whatever it is, are you in the midst of a storm? What is it? Is it internal or external? Think about what God is doing in your life. Let's go to verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 7. Let's go back. 
And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. So casting lots is kind of like a game of chance. We don't know exactly what it's like. We don't know if it was like rolling dice or if it was like drawing straws. But whatever way they cast lots, it fell on Jonah. It's, it's as if they did not receive any kind of answer from Jonah. And so they were still seeking the purpose of this storm this scary, ominous storm that was all around them. And so they they cast lots and it falls on Jonah. And so what do we do? What do we see? We see them saying, who are you? And so it's kind of funny because these are the kinds of questions that you might ask to get to know somebody. You know, like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. So what's your occupation? What do you do? Oh, that's good. So where are you from? Where's your home? Like, tell me a little bit of, of about your family, right? Those are basically the questions they're asking him. But I don't think it was with that cavalier approach. I think it was with some serious concern, like, like, what, what do you do? Where do you come from? And I think that even though we only have one short sentence, I think there was a lot of dialogue going on between Jonah and these sailors. In fact, that's not uncommon in Hebrew literature where they will just um, save time and just include the most important parts of the story. They're not like us. They didn't write every detail and, and get every word somebody said like we would probably want. They just hit the highlights. And so how does Jonah respond? Well, I think he answered their questions, but this was the most important part. And you notice, this is, I believe, the first time you see Jonah speak in this chapter, okay, in this book. This is the first time Jonah speaks. And what does he say? I am a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry dry land. Whoa. So the first thing you notice is he tells them, where he's from and who he is. So you have to remember, this story is taking place around uh, 750 B.C., okay, 800 B.C., and that might not mean a lot to you, but what it does tell you is that Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, the book of um, Joshua, David, all of these guys have already come and lived, right? The stories of the Israelites, the Hebrew people, would have been known, especially those sailors in that area. And so when he said, I am a Hebrew, he was saying, I'm kind of important. You see, this is actually the first hint you get of his national pride, okay? Now, this is kind of like uh, 4th of July weekend, right? How many of you guys are looking forward to 4th of July? Woohoo! Right? Who doesn't love our country? I love this country. It's fantastic to live in a place where we can come and gather like this in freedom and with protection. We, we live in a wonderful country, and I'm convinced it's one of the most generous and greatest countries in the world. However, the love we have for God should never be directed toward our country, right? We have to be careful that we don't end up loving our country more than God. Does that make sense? There's only one God. And what this is actually an interesting story of is a man who 
He loved his nationality, but he forgot who God was. Or let me take that back. He did not forget, but he didn't want that loving, kind God to go and uh, be told about, uh, he didn't want to tell about God in Nineveh, and we'll see that later. But he kind of says, I'm a Hebrew. But then he goes on to say, my God, the one I fear is Yahweh, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. So he was also saying, my God is way better than your God. He was, because he's saying his God is the one that's up in heaven. His God made the sea and made the land, okay? And so he was really saying, this one true God is the God. And so what's their response? I love their response. And so they said, what? They said, what, are you kidding me? Then the men were exceedingly afraid. That's your God and you're doing this? What is this that you have done? You see, I like the the ESV, the English Standard Version. It doesn't put a question there. It puts an exclamation point. I don't think that uh, they were really asking, so what have you done? I think it's more like the parent that, that asks the kid after the kid breaks the dish that they told them not to touch. What have you done? It's like that. It's more of an exclamation than it is a question, right? It's the, the spouse that turns to the other spouse when they've done something they know they shouldn't have done. They, what have you done? Right? It's that visceral, strong reaction. And they're like, that's your God? What? Because they know they're wrapped up in this rebellion. They're wrapped up in what's going on. You see, God's relentless pursuit is on display. And man's hardened heart is also on display. They've come face to face with the hardened heart of, of Jonah. And they're like, what have you done? But God is not giving up. He's not like, oh, Jonah's getting away. I really, I don't have anybody else that could go tell Nineveh this message. No. God's like, no, Jonah, you're the man. You may not want to go, but you're the man. Can I say that to you? You may not want to go. You might not want to do the right thing. But God is saying to you, you're the one to do it. You need to do what God is calling you to do. You need to do the right thing and trust God with the outcome. God says things like, stay pure before me. He says, be thankful. He says, don't break the laws. Don't cheat the system. Don't cheat your brothers and your sisters. Do things right. Do things my way and trust me with the outcome. But if you fail to do that, well, then God might just put a storm in your life. So let me ask you, what is God teaching you through the storm? What is God teaching you through this storm? Jonah had told them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I think that's part of that conversation they had when they asked him all those questions. And I think he explained that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Well, let's go to the next section. As you think about what is God teaching you through the storm? 
verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And they said to them, he said to them, Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. They called out to Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Yahweh, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and they ceased, and it ceased from its raging. And the men feared for the Lord exceedingly that they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Think about this. They're like, what do we do? The storm is continuing to bluster and billow. They were more afraid and more terrified than they had been. The storm continues to grow and grow in its seriousness and severity. They are panicking. What do we do? They now know the story of Jonah. They know that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. They know that he is a Hebrew, and he has probably explained that he is a prophet. And they're saying, okay, prophet, okay, Jonah, what do we do now? And so what does Jonah say? He says, turn around the boat. I repent. I'm sorry, God. I realize what I've done is wrong. Take me back. And I will do what God has asked me to do. Is that what Jonah says? No, he doesn't. He says, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. Pick me up and throw me in the ocean. I'd rather drown. Please tell me this isn't your way. This was Jonah's way, but it's not your way, right? You're not that stubborn. You're not that hard-hearted. Right? You're not holding on to your sin and rebellion so tight that you would rather die, are you? Please tell me that you're not. But Jonah was. He said, I would rather be thrown into the sea. This, in the midst of this crazy storm, I'd rather be thrown into the sea than to go back and do what God asked me to do. So pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Well, they heard that and they knew who he was, but they said, no, we just, we're not, we can't just throw a man overboard. Okay, men, get to the oars. And they rowed as hard as they could. And God must have just smiled. Oh, isn't that sweet? Look at them trying with all their might to do it their way. And I think God probably looks like, looks looks that way at us sometimes. Maybe not with a smile, but maybe with a broken heart, maybe with a tear in his eye. Of course, this is all metaphoric. I don't think God really has heart and tears and stuff. But, and he says, are you really going to keep trying to do it your own way? Are you really going to keep using your own strength to do it your own way, to maybe even help somebody else out that's rebellious? No, they need to get right with me. But not these men. No, they don't want to throw them overboard. So they row as hard as they can to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more 
tempestuous against them, and so eventually they cried out to God. You know, at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of this book, they cried out to their own gods, but no longer. Now they cry out to the one true God, Yahweh. They cry out to the one who says, I am, the one that has always been, the God of the heavens, the sea, and the dry land, the creator and owner of all. They cry out to him, and they say, oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it has pleased you. We want to please you, God. We, we're ready to give in to your ways. We don't want to do this, but this is your way, and we're willing to do that. So I'm imagining they had one guy grab Jonah by the hands and the other by the feet, and they gave him the old heave-ho. He said, one, two, three. And the sea ceased its raging. And it stopped. The God of the heavens, the God of the sea, the God that created all these things, just like that, it all stopped. The storm was over. Jonah, we'll find out more about him in the weeks to come, but Jonah was sinking in the sea at this point. I don't know if he even struggled. We don't, we're not told. But we'll talk about Jonah next week. But what was their response? Well, they had come face to face with God's relentless mercy and their hearts were humbled. And that's really my prayer for you. You see, we've looked at four different attributes of God. We've seen his justice. We've seen his power. We've, we've seen his mercy. We've seen his pursuit. And we have seen that the proper response when we come face to face with the character and the attributes of God is for our hearts to be humbled. And is to turn to him. And so what did these guys do that, be, that were once worshipers and cried out to these, all these other gods? Verse 16. Then the, the men feared the Lord. They no longer turned to their gods when they feared. They now feared Yahweh, the one true God. And they feared him exceedingly. The language is in, in the Hebrew is really interesting. It's like, and fearing they feared him. It's really emphatic. Fearing they feared him. They reverently were like, wow. And what did they do? They offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. We don't know how. Again, in, in Hebrew literature, it's not always as... Uh, precise and, and like timeline stuff the way we would try to do it. We don't know if these sailors went back, went to Jerusalem, went back into Israel and, and offered the sacrifice there and made vows and commitments. Those, the concept of vows there is like they made commitments to God. I don't know exactly how they did it. And quite frankly, that's not the point. The point is they turned to the one true God and they said, we fear you, we worship you, we want to offer our sacrifices to you and our lives to you. My question is, 
Is that your response too? When you come face to face with the word of God and the truth of God and who he is, is your response humility and worship? Renewing your commitment to him? You see, not every storm is is bad. In fact, some storms are a godsend, literally. Like this was a godsend. Storms are great for getting our attention. They turn us to the Lord. They really help us focus our priorities. They get us to where God wants us. So here's the question I have for you. How can you worship God before, during, and after the storm? Well, as Christians, we have a unique relationship with God that Jonah didn't even enjoy. Because, you see... When Jonah lived, Jesus had yet to come die on the cross for our sins. You see, we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we take communion. We remember Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And if you're here today and you have never trusted in what Christ has done for the forgiveness of your sins, then I would encourage you to do that. You see, that God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea... That God that is powerful and that is holy and just and merciful and loving and is pursuing you, that God came into the form of a man named Jesus and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for your sins and for mine so that all who believe in him may enjoy eternal life. They receive that gift through faith. By his grace. You see, when we can keep that perspective of the gospel, we're able to quite literally rise above the storm in a spiritual sense. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrew, or to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I'm going to start in verse 4. You see, Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite chapters because it talks about our standing before God before we receive salvation and after. And this is where Paul starts to tell us about after. Verse 4, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up in him, in Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'll read that one more time. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, no matter what your earthly condition might be, you have a heavenly position in Christ. You see, when you have believed in Christ, God has given you every spiritual blessing that is in him. And so, when the storm is raging here, you can... With your mind, remember the truth of God's word because he has placed you up with him and has seated you at his right hand. 
truly he has raised us up with Christ. Even though we might be in this earthly condition, we really are spiritually above the storm. We're above the clouds. And that's how you can worship God before, during, and after the storm. And so as the worship team comes up and we prepare to take communion, I just I want to encourage you to consider what God is doing in your life. Consider who he is and what your response to him is. Consider what Jesus has done and how you can enjoy that. The way we enjoy communion here is that we encourage you to examine your own heart, like it says in 1 Corinthians 11, to make sure that you are right with God, your relationship with God is in the right place. And then when you're ready, come down and get the bread that represents the body of Christ and get the cup that represents the new covenant in his blood. And take those back and pray by yourself, pray with your family, um, and just spend a little time and enjoy what Christ has done, this time of memorial. Because even though we, by choice and by nature, are rebellious, wandering, and hard-hardened, our hearts are, have been hardened, we can still come humbly before a gracious and loving God. Let's pray, and then as they play, please come down, and we have, um, we'll have some people here that will pray with you if you'd like, and we have two more stations in the back, so if you're closer back there and you want to go that direction, you can as well. So uh, pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the story of your pursuit and your love of Jonah and of all of the different people that you have worked greatly in our lives. You've worked through Jesus. You made it possible that we could walk alongside of you because of Christ. And so now as we come to take communion together, we say thank you for the body and we we say thank you for the, the cup representing the new covenant in his blood. And we pray now, God, that we would continue to become more like your son as we spend time in your word and as the Holy Spirit works, that we would be more and more like Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our messages online. Join us again next week as we continue our study in the book of Jonah. 